Welcome to the 12th episode of Junto Club. On this episode, we welcome two comedy experts, Jake Christensen and Paige Crawford. The episode begins by talking Rush Limbaugh's death. Shu tries to get some marketing information from us for free. We also talk about how a chicken can get cooked properly with just one slap. Most of the episode is spent discussing what makes humans laugh, improv comedy, and how comedy can be incorporated into day-to-day life. For any questions, comments, or to express your disgust with Jake, email juntoclubpodcast at gmail.com. This is Junto Club. Junto Club. Welcome to the 12th episode of Junto Club. Uh, So in 1727, Benjamin Franklin started a club for upper crust uh, white people um, to basically uh, discuss hot button topics of the day, politics, philosophy, and uh, just general uh, topics of interest. And basically, we carry that forward today by discussing philosophy, current news stories that interest us, science, technology, in trying to better understand our world and our life. So today, we're talking about humor, and I decided to bring on two people who I think are a little bit funny. Uh, So Jake Christensen and Paige Crawford. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Can you hear me? I didn't even check my audio yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah, no, we can good. hear you good. Sweet. I, I do want to make a correction. It, it was not started to. It's not for upper class white people. It is for white people, but not for upper class. It was Benjamin Franklin? He was a printer. He was an businessman, right? So it's entrepreneur. So small time businessman. So he basically just have his friends, right? Um, you know, fellow businessmen come together to talk about. So middle right. middle class. I so middle middle crust, middle crust. Yes, middle crust. I'll take uh, nice. <laughs> you can't badmouth Benjamin Franklin, or she will get very upset with you, Mike. Now he's very defensive of him. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So so yeah, basically it's about humor, but main thing is about uh, humor. How to add that humor into our communication, right? How basically that's one something that I need to improve on myself because. Uh, evident abundant i guess a very abundant abundantly evident from my last uh episode that i did a very boring lecture so <laughs> so because i was it was very poorly constructed i did not add any humor into it and it was like just put myself to sleep when i was listening to it so so i i, I would give people warning i don't listen to it or just skip the part i was doing my lecture anyway so so yeah so so yeah, so I guess uh, before we go into the humor like, in, in communication, are we going to go to the like, news roundtable? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I I know you had a news story you wanted to talk about, so we can take a couple minutes. Wait, don't you, don't you guys have any news you want to talk about? We should ask our guests first. Was there any exciting news y'all wanted to, you know, discuss? Uh, <laughs> no I obligations mean- here. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that, anything that bothers you, you know, you want to rant about or anything that you want to, you know, or any, I mean, if, I mean, you can edit this out if you want, but, uh, <laughs> frankly, I'm excited that Rush Limbaugh died. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that's my exciting news was I was like, nice. All right. He died of lung cancer. I hope it was painful as possible for that piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my exciting news. Well, now, also, also, Shu, with your, with your lecture that you're talking about, here's an optimistic point right here. They could also use it for a sleep aid. You know, if it's that boring, right? You know, so you put, just put that on and be like, I'll just sleep. And then you and then you absorb the information and you know, so there's a possibility, you know? Yeah. I, I maybe use it as a bedtime story or something. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> oh. Well, I, I I've thought about the Rush Limbaugh story. Like I I mean, I never listened to him and it's basically his death is irrelevant to me, but I, I it has made me think about and this is something that we have talked about in previous episodes, but like what if you got that news? Like, essentially, a doctor came to you and was like, yeah, you're, like, 0% chance you're alive, like, six months from now. Like, what? how does that change your behavior in life? Mm. <laughs> I would think it would either be really, I think I think you'd either go, man, I'm going to, like, live live great and do something, or you're going to go, I'm going to take as many people out as I can with me here. Well, that's exactly <laughs> it, right? Like, it's the, Alex Treve- it's the Alex Trebek, right? Like, where you show up to work to, like, you know, like, a week before you die, and it's like, you hand it with, like, dignity and grace, or you just, like, go out onto the streets and just start screaming at people, being like, I hate you, it should be you. Like- <laughs> well, 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 if I was a beloved, you know, game show host like Alex Trebek had made lots of money, then I would probably go out gracefully, that's fine. But if I was a bitter old bastard like Rush Limbaugh, then I don't know. <laughs> so why why don't you like him? Oh, why don't I like Rush Rush? Oh um let me put up some let me pull up some audio clips of him making fun of AIDS victims and then that's just all I need right there. Uh I see. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I only know he's like very right wing. He always say a lot of like crazy stuff. I just never like read, listen to him, so I don't know what he what he talk, talk about. Yeah. Well, I uh, feel like he's pretty like he's pretty like what do you call it? like the conservative like old school conservative or like he's not like conspiracy theory, is he? He's pretty conspiracy theory. I oh, thought. Okay. I, I never listened to him. I don't know. Yeah, it's like it's like a mix of stuff. I mean, I was I was reading up some of his quotes. He'd say, you know, I mean, just just terrible stuff. Like he'd just be like, you know, oh, what twelve? Like a to quote Rush Limbaugh, he said something like, "What America's only made up of like twelve percent of Black Americans? Like who cares? You know, like shit like that." He would say, you sure, know, sure, and he sure. would like, so mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I, mean, I don't think he was on like an Alex Jones level of conspiracy. No, I don't think he thought Sandy Hook was like stage. Maybe he did. I don't know, but. <laughs> But he did think Michael J. Fox faked his illness. That's so he did think that you know. That so there's true. stuff like that. So, yeah. but uh, he was definitely a uh, definitely he will not be missed. <laughs> I say. Fortunately, he spawned a whole generation of yeah. similar people. Well, that is true. You're right. Yeah, I'm thankful my parents don't like him, so that's good. But I feel bad for other people who are like, oh, my pa- I grew up on this stuff, and you're like, oh, it's terrible. <laughs> Well, thank you for that news story, Jake. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. 2021, already on the upswing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. At least we're not in Texas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm heading to Cancun, page, so I will. Oh, I was gonna yeah. say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're just but you're just dropping somebody off, right? And you're coming yeah. back. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So, Shu, what was your news story? Oh, um, okay. I was going to ask two about. Actually, I have 
two questions. One is like, would you buy cars online? Any of you? Hmm. I would. I, I, would, I would have would. to. I, yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it would depend. I feel like you have to still always test drive it. You know what I mean? But like, I think if I have kind of experience with it, like I've always had Mazdas, I guess, you know, or I've only had, I've had two Mazdas, but uh, so maybe if it was just like, I'll take my chance. If it's like the new 2021 Mazda three or something like that, I'd probably take my chances, I guess, cause I'm familiar, you know, but if it's brand new, I don't know. I mean, I would probably, I feel like you have to still test it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's new, if it's brand new and it has a warranty, right? It's kind of like, why not? Use cars. Use cars? No, no, no. Yeah, Which yeah, is definitely all I've not ever gotten. But what, what if there's the Carfax or whatever that commercial yeah. is? You know, yeah. that tell you like this is the accident suspension, this is the miles on it. I mean, no, there's no. I way. don't know. I'm... The Carfax are such bullshit because when I went to go sell my last car to get my new car, the Carfax apparently said I had two accidents and I've only had one. So I got screwed over out of some money because I had like apparently more accidents than I did. I don't know. So Are I you sure you just didn't forget? Yeah, exactly. You no, I'm pretty sure I didn't forget an accident. Second question. Uh, would you buy your house online? Uh, I mean, like without ever visiting it or like finding it online and then like checking it out and being like, you yeah. Could, you could go see it. You could go see it. Basically. Oh. But you oh, don't it, you don't need a realtor. You just like go to see and then just click one button online, just buy it, something like that. Oh yeah, I, mean, I would I, shop online for it, sure. Yeah, yeah I, I was going to say, isn't that how you do it nowadays? Anyway, like you just shop online and then go visit it. But you don't buy a house online. You don't do all the transition uh, transactions, right? Everything else, yeah. That's yeah. true. Okay, yeah. The, the main thing I I want to come to is actually there are two companies that are doing. Uh, doing those things right now. One is called Carvana. They, he, they are doing like basically selling used cars online. I, I have been seeing them a lot around Atlanta lately. So that's why I want to see if I need to invest in that company. And so, anyway, just do some study. And Dude, this then, isn't uh, a news story, Shane. This is you pulling <laughs> people to make money. <laughs> it's all for personal gain, you know? No conflict, no interest, you know? Yes. Yeah. And the other one is a uh, open door. And they are doing a, uh, they are doing, they are doing a uh, uh, selling the house online, basically kind of thing. Mm. So yeah. All right. So coming to the news story, have you? Do you guys know how you can actually cook a chicken by slapping it? Have you heard of the news story? <laughs> Cooking. The... I thought you I heard that was impossible. Slapping it. So that oh, is like slapping it. You oh. sla- every time you slap it, you give a little energy into it, which heats it up very slightly. But I thought. It would be like impossible. Like you know, you'd need like millions of slaps. Mm. I've I've seen these memes where it's talking like, yeah, if you like, or or, or it's just one really big slap. Like you got to be like Thanos or something like that to slap that chicken, and you can cook it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I heard it a while ago. Actually, apparently it's from a subreddit called Not No Stupid Question, and then one person was asking that, like, oh, you know, can you uh, can you cook a chicken by slapping it? And then one physics student just like did some calculation. Oh yeah, it's kind of possible, as you say, it's like. But you need probably using that human hand, you need like four thousand slaps, basically. Four slaps. Okay. I mean, then you have to determine. Seems too low. I was going to say that kind of does four thousand seems a little too low to me. I mean, how hard? And it has to be what even every time. And then, could one person pull off four thousand slaps to cook a chicken, or do you have to like you know divide up the work? I feel you know. I mean, but I I agree. I still think four thousand is way too low. I was going to think like ten thousand, maybe. I don't know. Even that seems low to me. 
Is yeah. that is this a full chicken now, or is this like a, you know like a chicken breast that has been cut like a quarter inch thick, you know, and is the size it's of a chicken? But yeah, but anyway, I think the the, the calculation, of course, is not going to be as very accurate, right? So it's approximate, I guess. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> but if you want to do one slap, you basically your hand need to go around like four thousand miles per hour to slap the chicken to get cooked in one slap. Yeah. <laughs> I think the the main issue is I think it would more destroy the chicken before you know it cooked it. You just mm-hmm. have like a you know chicken thrown across your whole room. Yeah, there'd just be gizzards everywhere, I guess, or something. You know, you'd be like, you'd just be left with like a little bone. You're like, okay. Apparently, Jake was going to use a live chicken. You know, not yeah. like butchered yeah. already. But <laughs> we didn't say specifically now here. Hold on, we just said cook a chicken. You know, we didn't we didn't say we didn't think alive or dead or not. You know, I mean, all right. Cool. <laughs> All right, I guess it's time to go on into our main topic today. Is uh, I'll call it uh, comedy and communication, right? So mm-hmm. before we go there, do you know who was the first American humorist? Probably Benjamin Franklin. I was going to say, <laughs> that would be my guess, would be Ben Franklin. Of course, of course. So yeah, what happened was that, yeah, he was a printer, but he was also a publisher. He'd write a lot of like sat- satirical articles, like, uh, basically poking fun of like uh, current like societal and political issues, and then also make it very understanding for like publics. The, the one one way he make it very easy for uh, like public to understand is to add humor into it, right? So he would he would like disguise his name and then just like pretend to be someone else and then just talk about stuff like that. So anyway, I think I think he he's one of those uh, uh, most effective communicator ever you know ever uh, one of the reasons is i think because he used humor a lot and there's a rumor that actually the u.s u.s constitution was going to is like they, they actually let that jefferson tom jefferson to write the first the u.s con- constitution because they were afraid of benjamin franklin is going to sneak in sneaking some jokes into the constitution so anyway there's, there's a rumor but i mean you know he made a point that he's a very uh, I guess the humor is in a way, but yeah. Anyway. I, I'd absolutely believe that. I mean, didn't didn't he want the? Uh, I think he wanted the national bird to be a turkey, right? Really? I, I feel like that was something I've I've read or heard that like he wanted like when they're talking about like what birds to make the national bird or whatever. He was like the turkey because it's regal or something, and he probably really meant it. It would make more sense since we have to eat one on Thanksgiving. It's not like we eat a bald eagle, so it would make more sense for the turkey to be our like national. I think we should just start eating bald eagles. I think so. I bet they're delicious. Yeah. They taste like freedom. They taste expensive and rare. (laughs) All right. So I think the way I'm thinking of doing this is like maybe start with some questions, but I'm not sure how you guys think I'm doing it. Um, well, I just wanted to start with one question to sort okay. of group, because uh, I mean, so we want to talk about how humor and how humor can be incorporated into sort of conversation and building relationships and things like that. But I guess, I mean, when we talk about humor, we're talking about making people laugh or laughing ourselves. So I thought it was appropriate and very shoe style to ask, like, why do we laugh? Why do we laugh? To cope. Yeah, I was like, so the pain of living isn't hard enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one, 
actually, when I listen to myself talk, right, my verbal take is like whenever I say something, I tend to add a laughter into it, like, huh, huh, something like that, right? I say, oh, that's so annoying to me, right? Oh, why do I do that, right? And I realize maybe because it's trying to diffuse tension or something, right? Mm-hmm. To, so, I don't know. I Actually, I, I did not realize that I do that myself until I listen to myself, right? So, it's kind of, yeah, just, just interesting, yeah. I think that's. I think maybe that's one reason I do it. It's just diffuse tension somehow. Yeah. You know that that that's interesting actually. Yeah, I would say that probably with within oneself, I guess. Right. Maybe you're feeling awkward with what we say stuff, so we just kind of laugh. But then also that just made me think of something. This is kind of a weird, maybe a biological correlation to something here. But like for example, like when dogs play, they sneeze to indicate that they're just playing. Maybe humans in some way we laugh to indicate that like, you know, this isn't a hostile you know, you know sometimes you say stuff, you're texting, you want to say something kind of you know, I kinda of wanna tell Michael that like that orange sweater of his, it looks a little dry you know, but I might add a little I might laugh about it or something like that to ease it. You know? so, LOL. Yeah, yeah, right, you know the LOL thing, you know. <laughs> No, I think I think humor relaxes situations because you know I think if you're going into a tense situation, even if the joke's terrible or you're just trying to be funny, it's like okay, you're human too. We can like be on the same level with terrible dad jokes. Got it? Here we go. No, I Is it? Yeah, go ahead, Mike. No, well, no, I I would agree with all that. I'll let you go ahead, show because I sort of wrote out in the notes sort of what I was thinking asking this question. Got you. Uh, <laughs> last question about that. Why? Uh, just follow our question on that. Just made me think about: is there any is any joke that is like off topics? Because because uh, sometimes I always worry because I always make jokes. Like sometimes I, I always worry that I may be making a joke of something that might be off topic and like maybe maybe offensive to my friends, right? You even just joking around with my friends, you know, sometimes I say may worry about that, right? Do you think there's any top topic that you should not is too serious to for a joke? Get new friends show. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, for me, not really, you know, that's just me. Per- I think it's a personal thing, you know. I mean, there's probably like a societal thing. You probably just can't make certain jokes about, I guess, out loud or whatever, you know. I mean, the- dark humor, right? You know, just like dark. I think that's just anything that's morbid or whatever, you know. Now, that's my cup of tea. That's what I like. So I'm probably not the best person to ask with this because I'm like, there's really <laughs> nothing. There's really like no line for me that you can never cross that I'll never. In fact, the, the worse it is, I'll probably find it to be the funniest thing ever. So just because I guess I think I think taboo can be pretty funny in its own self, you know, so, you know, I mean, I would agree with that, too. I don't think there's any topic necessarily with me that would be off limits if I was with friends. Now, I don't know, like I wouldn't just go throwing down dead baby jokes at, you know, a job interview. um... (laughs) That's how I got hired for my last job. I don't know. Uh, No, I know. Yeah. But with friends, especially with this group of of you fine gentlemen uh no there's there doesn't seem to be anything off topic nice all right cool so the main question for today is like how can we apply that principle and techniques from comedy like improv to improve our communication so that's kind of broad main question that we want to you know kind of explore today but to start with like do you think if, is it possible to apply a comedy like improv principle and techniques to improve our communication skills? Um, you go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I would say, I. so I taught improv and a lot of people seem to come to those classes like really oh. shy 
and like wanting to like get out of their bubble and get out of their shell. So I think that helps the most with just that in general. It's just like the shy, awkward people wanting to feel less awkward and communicating with people on a daily basis. Cause I think what's so great about improv is you have to think just like the first thing that comes to your mind and I think we filter ourselves so much as humans and we like, we think too hard about what we're going to say. And then we become, we come off as awkward or weird. And I think sometimes if we just loosen up and just like let whatever comes to us, come to us, it's, we're, I don't know, we're more approachable and more natural. It's kind of how I feel. So what, what, what class were you teaching? What was the class? I just, I was just teaching just like intro improv, um, and uh, improv, all the levels that we do at Whole World. And um, I mean, I get a, I, I get an assortment of people. I get people who are like, oh, my friends tell me I'm really funny. And so I should do this class or like, oh, I have to do this class for my job or just, you know, people who are just, again, shy and just want to like meet other people. Oh, really? Interesting. So why, why do they, you mentioned about job. Now, what do you mean by the job? Why in the company want them to do an improv class? Um. So we actually would also teach like a lot of random company outings. And I think the main thing that we try to like, it's just kind of how you can communicate with other people, like, in, especially like sales. I think like if you have some awkward, like aggressive or whatever person that like coming to talk to you about like sales, you're like, please get away from me. But if you had someone who was just like, Hey, I'm just like you, we're cool. Hang out, like whatever, you know, I think that's the main reason they just want them to like, be more comfortable with themselves. And also it's, they also treat it in the corporate improv we do. It's as like a team bonding thing. Ah. Okay. And this is a stupid question. I, if I want to improve my communication, I talking to people, do I, should I take stand up comedy class or improv class? I would say improv, improv. because you have to do it with other people. Stand mm-hmm. up. You just have to get up there and say a joke and hope and hope they laugh but yeah improv you have to like actually look at someone in the face and like mm-hmm. listen and react ah okay yeah, yeah. and yeah. I, I guess improv one of the tenets of improv is sort of establishment which you know i can let jake and page talk about more which uh, which i think is like potentially like ground it well i mean sort of the point is like in any scene you want to ground like who you are where you are and what you're doing so like in any communication whether it's like a talk or whether you're just having a conversation with someone i think it can be like important to sort of have a common understanding of like why you're having that conversation or like in any relationship right i mean like any conversation about a relationship is going to sort of have important like the important pieces about like to help you get on the same page and so improv is all about sort of being on the same page like the people in the scene as well as the audience mm. so, so it sounds good I actually now before we gain a little more detail I think a lot of people understand like stand-up right comedy and um, but mm. I think maybe not maybe not a lot of people and I no improv. So would you mind explaining like, what is improv a little bit? Jake, you want to take this one? <laughs> <laughs> you gave me the worst one at this one. <laughs> um, gosh, I mean, uh, you know. I, mean, I can help you. What, like, what is improv? I mean, I guess it's a style of, it's a style of theater that is all, uh, 
simply made up on the spot. You know, there's no planning, there's no writing. Um, I think that's why it, it helps with communication because oftentimes you're unprepared with what you're about to, you know, who you're talking to, right? I mean, you don't know, you gotta go meet your boss or something. You don't know what they're, what you're going to talk about. Um, and so, you know, and with the listening is good too, because it also teaches you to not just listen to the words, but listen beyond the words, you know? So I think it can help you read, uh, the unspoken clues, right? The, like the body language even, you know, and maybe the, the subtext of what they're saying, you know, like how they're saying something. So, and then responding to not to just what they're saying, but the emotion behind it. Um, so I guess, uh, I've always loved improv for that reason more than stand up. And I've dabbled with both, but I've always just loved improv because it's more of like plain pretend. You could set up scenes. You're dealing with other people and you just got to fly off the cuff, you know? And plus, if you're doing it in front of people, the audience, I think is always more on your side, um, <clears throat> with improv than it is stand up because stand up, it's more like I'm coming here. I'm spending money sitting down. You think you're super funny that you by yourself can come up with jokes, stand up here and make me laugh. So I think it's harder. I think people are a little bit more like, hmm, okay, let's see here. But improv, it's more like, whoa. They're, usually people are always impressed, audience members. Just <laughs> Which like, I always find you... so funny because I don't right. do very hard at all. The people are like, how do you do that? And I'm like, yeah. I, I don't. I just. I don't know. What I do. Yeah, you just you just sometimes react. You know, like that's why they teach you to like establishing like an emotion, right? Like or something. There's so many different tools. You know, and emotion's probably just the most basic one because that's something we can all understand. So if, like, you get a suggestion, like, where are they? And you're like, they're in a, a, you know, in a jail cell. Like, what's your emotion you take? And then you, you know, from where you're going, what you're saying is filtered through that emotion. And then same with your scene partner, you know, and then you and you have to sort of, like, come together to create something like a story almost or something that's interesting and funny. Uh, so that's why I always loved it because it's just something you, you just have to react and then you hope for the best. <laughs> well, I also think what's funny about improv, too, is, like, when you're in a scene, it could be the most ridiculous scene ever. Like, you literally could be, like, two donkeys on the moon. But you have to sell it like that is the reality. Like, that's reality is that donkeys can be on the moon and they can speak English. And I think that's what the most successful improv improviser does. They don't just sit there and just like judge the scene. They're just in it. Mm. So does it rely on that you had to be very quick on your feet? Now you need to be very quick thinking away. Because I'm because personally, just listen to me. I feel like I will be afraid of doing it because I'm not sure if I can do that. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like, I always think of that game where people are like, okay, I'm going to say a word and you say the first word that comes to your mind. Like, just like, you just, if you practice that kind of stuff, like, that's kind of what you do in Improv 101. You do these games that are basically centered around that concept of like, okay, just what's the first thing you think about when I say peaches or like, okay, tell me what the, you know, it's, it's kind of like a broader sense of that concept. Ah. Okay. Like, like word, like word association almost, you know, like, and at first it's sort of just to get out anything. So like you'd be in a circle and you're just saying like peaches and you could be like uh, potatoes and it's like peaches, potatoes, you know, but like eventually as you get better about it, the idea is to somehow incorporate. So if someone could be like peaches and you'd be like cream and like peaches and cream and then like move forward and be like the next thing you could say like tomato and be like ketchup. And there you go, you know, and like yeah. you try to, but at first it's just to like get your brain to. Because that page said earlier, we filter ourselves and we're always so like cautious. And, you know, think of kids, right? You know, kids is a good example because kids just, they don't care. They don't have that filter. They just spew. And that's why some things they say is just hilarious because you're like, where did that, where did that come from? Just, pff, they didn't think about it. They just said. Yeah. Oh, okay. So one thing you mentioned that uh, you say listen like beyond the words, right? How do you, how do you practice that? 
Um, I would say, I mean, you know, I would, I guess maybe just, uh, you know, the, the more experience you have doing that, the better. And in terms of like actually maybe actively doing it, I like in improv, there's a term called like side coaching where you have like a person that's like running the scene and then they'll like, you'll be doing it. So let's say Paige and I are in the middle of a scene and maybe she said something and I didn't react well enough to it or I didn't like listen. It, you can, and then Michael could be like, wait, hold on a second. Paige, repeat that. Listen to how she said that. She said she misses her mom, but she said it in a joyful way. You know, what does that mean? You know? And like, so I guess just ways of just, you know, analyzing kind of how someone does it. And I think just the more you do it, uh, the better you kind of get at reading that sort of thing, you know? I would say a non-improvised way to do that would be like people watch, <laughs> just like analyze yeah. how people communicate with each other. Cause like a lot of the characters I do and a lot of ideas I have for like scenes and sketches, I just get from like everyday interactions with people or like seeing people interact with people. Ah. So there's your non-improv yeah. way of doing it, I guess. So do you just nice, uh, nice, do you have, do you just go to a party, just stand there and then just watch people kind of observe them? Something like that? Just stand in the corner. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think know it's important to lick your lips hungrily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you I lick think... your lips hungrily, touch yourself in the corner. Yeah. yeah you'll, you'll make friends you that creep- real quick. Are you creeping everybody out in the room? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just do it usually when I'm like in line at the grocery store or like just kind of like when you can just be kind of in the back, but like not creepy. <laughs> so you're just like looking, watching people. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my question is more like, how do I do it without without like being uh standing out right without like being noticed or something right <laughs> let's say, let's say you're like oh i'm gonna go i'm gonna go to like uh, starbucks to like work on some something right so you're sitting at the table you just set up shops sit at a table at starbucks and you're there for like over an hour or something like that just watch the people around you you know like like you know take usually we often like put on the hair air funds you know we just get in our zone but if you just take those out you'll hear you'll listen to people's conversations and you can see how they react and stuff like that so something like that, you're not going to be creepy because you're just no one's looking twice at you. But if you're like, let me step at this high school here, and uh, <laughs> wow, you know, I go to Starbucks every single day. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so going back, going back to a little bit, now, how how do you think that improv on this comedy, like before you started comedy, do you think that it has like impact your like uh, improve your communication, maybe uh, like just uh, like talking to people and stuff like that, and I. How was how were you guys like before you doing the improv and then, and then of course maybe like how how had how 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 it has helped you like after yeah. uh I mean for me I was a really shy kid like really shy and I think like improv and just comedy in general kind of helped me break out of that because I mean I don't know I don't I was thinking about like who I'd be if I didn't have improv and I'd probably be pretty boring. <laughs> mm. Um, I'd probably be pretty boring and I'd, I don't know, I'd probably be into like uh, some dumb, I don't know, some really dumb, boring hobby. I don't know. I don't know. It's like my only hobby I have. So how did you get into improv or comedy? Uh, I started doing it in high school. I just did like drama club and we, they mainly had improv. And so I started doing improv in high school and then I liked it a lot. And then I just, just kind of kept finding places to do it. Mm. That's kind of it. But yeah. Nice. Yeah, I was, I was a little bit, I think when I was a little kid, I was uh, pretty shy, you know, in fact, I used to blame my mom, like, because my mom was very much the type that like, you might get stolen, you know, it was like the <laughs> 90s time where it's like, you might get stolen, you know, and like the, the one video runaway train by Soul Asylum always terrified me as a kid. I don't know if any of you have seen that one, but uh, anyway, it's, uh, 
So, so as a kid, I was pretty shy, but I've always loved uh, creative stuff and pretending, and I would play with my toys and stuff. And then, yeah, in high school, got more into like the theater round of you know life of things, and then eventually entered improv and really did it because, uh, yeah, I like to perform. And and then how it helped afterwards. I mean. I guess it just makes you a little more confident, I would say, you know, like I, I was probably already pretty confident before, but I got more confident just with improv because then you just feel like because it's like, you know, if you go up on a show and you pretend you're a donkey on space and, you know, you feel silly doing something and let's say nobody laughs like it's a very vulnerable thing. So you kind of like I can go up on the stage in front of however many people kind of look foolish or silly and maybe it bombs and let's say it does bomb and then I can keep moving forward and you make other people laugh like you're kind of like what is this one interaction here right now going to do to me you know like well, I've already the, that's the beauty of improv is that you do a scene and you never have to do it ever again it's not like a yeah. play where you have to keep doing it over and over again it's like once you do it it's done you never have to think about it ever again I mean you may think about it again if it was really bad but you never have to relive it just inside your mind you do just inside yeah just inside you and also you have the and also you have the excuse of like it's just flying off the cuff right you know so it's like and it's something that not many people can seem to do right everyone's always like oh my gosh how so even if you bomb and you're like oh that killed you're like i still feel more confident than the people that they they can't do this they're not i'm on the stage there's a reason why i'm on the stage and they're not Mm -hmm. so i think how you i just for me it just made me more confident you know so in everyday life i'm just like yeah if that person was like that guy was an idiot i'm like you have you don't know anything (laughs) you haven't seen nothing yet (laughs) that character was an idiot chick yeah exactly the character was stupid right just blame it on the character yeah this sounds like something we talked about before about like the importance of learning to be able to like fail and being willing to fail and try things so you can actually improve and get better where if you're not willing to make a fool of yourself or try something and look silly, you probably won't get good at it in the first place. That's totally, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And improv is very much one of those things. I mean, it's a very vulnerable thing. And you, you often, I feel like you fail more times than you do awesome. Like there's probably, you know, and eventually you, I mean, you, you want to get good enough where it's like, that's few and far between, but for the most part, you still will always have those moments. You can't wow everybody. You know, you could be like, oh, I thought that was really funny, but the crowd, you know, crickets, you know, and yeah, you fail. And then you have to be like, you can't let that get you. You can't let that destroy your spirit that still wanted to do it. You just have to keep going. Well, it sounds like, is it almost like training your emotion in a way? And it's always like, because uh, one time I was playing poker and then some, I, I missed my uh, my bet and then I just got tilted, right? My I, I feel the fear, emotion, I just rise above me. I just, I cannot shake it, right? So I'm, it sounds like just all, almost a way to train your emotional intelligence in a way. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Because even like you can, you could be in the middle of the scene and like you kind of, you're doing it and you make it, you say something and it's not getting laughs. You can get really in your head in the middle of the scene and then all of a sudden just sort of flounder, but you have to like ignore that and keep going and just persevere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Remind me of a quote from... Winston Churchill, he says, like, success is going from one failure to the other without the loss of uh, enthusiasm, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so um, so if you want, if you can like, uh, condense like, improv into, like, summarize into, like, a few principles, right? How would you, how would you, how would you, like, write those principles? Uh, um... I would say, you know, listening. Listening. And, uh, oh, I had another one in my head. I just went out of my head. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a good one, too. 
Maybe like reacting honestly would be one, you know, I mean. Truth, uh, truthfully, truth, actually truth. There's one truth, listening, truth, reacting, honestly. Um, that might agree- be it. I, I mean, there, there's the big thing in like improv where it's called like, yes, and all right. Where it's basically like you have to accept what the person's giving you. You can't. So if you're like, hey, I'm on a like, look at me, I'm riding a horse. And if I was to be like, that's not a horse, that's a rhino. I just negated and I kind of like stopped the scene. And so also like the idea, I think a good principle with improv is sort of uh, agreement, I guess, maybe, you know, I mean, you're all on the same, everyone's on the same team and you're trying to achieve the same thing. But if you negate somebody, if they establish like, this is what I'm doing, or this is who I am. And if you were to say no, you know, no, stop something or yes, keeps going, you know, what, what yes can bring you so many more opportunities than no can. You know, so even if, and so sometimes with improv, like, even if let's say, okay, and before the scene, I'm, I'm going to be this way, but my scene partner did something that if I stick with, with, I stick with what I'm doing, then I'm going to probably put like a stop on the scene somehow. Like maybe I'm, I'm already going to be like the surly old man. Right. But the way they, the scene partner did something that if I continue that way, ah, it's going to kind of like put some bumps in the road in the scene. But maybe if I just agree and I go, oh yeah, you know what? I am jovial, you know? And like, and then who knows where that goes from there. No, it's called yes and no. Yes. So it's like yes and dot, 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 essentially. Oh, dot, dot, dot. Yes and, oh, so what would, what, so you mean that if someone. So, so here, here'd be like an exercise would be like, I'd be like, I have an apple. Take this apple, Michael. And Michael would be like, yes. And you would have to be like, yes. And it smells delicious. Oh, mm, you should all, you should take a bite of it, Jake. And I'd be like, yes. And I'll take a bite because, you know, and you, that's like a basic exercise to teach you to just be like, I'm a green. And then I'm going to add information. And then I'm going to like, you just kind of keep it going. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Seeing away, like, and right. Continuing the scene. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so the yes is agreeing with reality. The and is like adding to that reality. Oh, yes. Okay, it's almost like, I guess, like conversation, right? Someone asks you something, you say something, and then you keep uh, mm-hmm. keep going, right? Someone might, I, I guess, uh, now you go to someone usually having a question, like, oh, how are you doing, right? Yeah. And then and you say, if they say good, like, it's almost like stop. Like, you don't know what, what else to continue, right? Mm-hmm. That means they don't want to keep talking to you, Shu. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes they will ask, uh, good, how, how about you? I say, no, I will try to say good, and then I don't know what to say next, right? So how, in that situation, how would you use improv to keep going? I, I explain why you're good. You know, if they're like, hey, how you doing? And you're like, I'm doing well, you know, and then you might be the unspoken thing is like, well, what's going on with you? Why are you doing it? Well, they, they might not say that, but that's sort of the unspoken thing. So then you could just follow up with that yourself being like, so they're like, hey, how you doing? Shoe? You'd be like, I'm doing all right. Actually, uh, this thing happened, you know, but I grew my hair out. I look cool. You uh, yeah. know? And like they, you know, and so that's the that's the and part, I guess. I don't know. Sometimes I think there's like no amount of improv that could help me with small talk because I think small talk is so hard. Like the beginning of small talk, like, you know, it's like the, Hey, how are you? Oh, good. And then you like kind of just keep ping ponging back until you find something you both like can relate to. And then you're like, okay, here's our conversation now. But it's like, if you can't ever get that common ground, it's just like, all right, well, I'm going to go. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. See, I feel see, I feel okay with small talk, but I but I, I just am still like on the inside. I'm like, oh god. But I could be like, you know, it's, I could be like, man, this weather's been crazy this today, right? You know, and I could, I, could like, I feel like that's everyone's go to, like the weather. Yeah, 
Crazy. <laughs> well, I, have, I have done it before, so I need to change that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I guess I, I used to hate smoke talks too, because I, no, no reason I hate it because I was terrible in it, because right? I don't know how to continue and you almost get into an awkward like situation where you don't know what to say to each other anymore, right? So I think that's why I hate small talk. I guess that's why I want to ask you guys about it. Like, how do you, how do you prove that in your way, right? I think it would depend on like how I know them. Like if it's, if, if it's someone like, let's say from a class, like I kind of, you know, like we never really interacted much, but we're stuck on like an elevator, you know, um, I might ask like, you know, if you have some sort of commonality, if you're in a class, you'd be like, Oh, how did you, how did, by the way, how'd you do on the test last week or something like that? Or if it's not even that, let's say you can also make an observation that they have, you know what I mean? So like, if you're like, Oh, that's a cool, Oh, by the way, that's a cool, I don't know. You're, bag is cool or something you know what i mean like uh your bag i like that messenger bag that's actually really cool I have, i've always wanted one you know i mean i think part of it's just sort of like i think why sometimes people have a hard time even just with small it's not always interesting but you can find you, can, you find something interesting with it it can lead to that somehow but i think oftentimes where people have a hard time is because we get we question ourselves we go why do people give it why do why are they going to care about my day and then also maybe why do i care about their day you know like but if you just sort of be vulnerable, like I'll just sit here and be like, hey, I like your bag. I had a messenger bag once and then, you know, but I tore up and like they might sit there in their mind being like, this guy's just rambling, you know. But like, hey, if it gets us to that elevator ride, then why not? You know what I mean? So it's like you just take a chance, you know. I'm just picturing the same person that has a messenger bag wearing cargo shorts. I don't know why. I just <laughs> feel like they go together. <laughs> so so there's a scenario where you're just talking to a stranger, right? Like maybe someone's standing in the line and you want to talk to them. And then you just like, you're saying that you just like try to find something funny or something to say. So I would say like an observational thing. Like if you're in line at Starbucks, you know, and you're there and you can just be like, gosh, are they, are they having trouble with someone's name up there? Is what's going on? You know, like you could just make some sort of like clever comment or something, you know, um, you know, and, and, and then obviously the part of that's you, you read body language. Like if I was to say that, the person in front of me was just going to be like, mm, and like not to respond. I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I shouldn't, I'll, I'll stop talking to you then. You know, like, <laughs> so, so that's part of it too. But if they're engaging back, then hey, you never know. I mean, I've had some fun. I honestly like those little moments with strangers. Those are my faith in humanity moments sometimes. So if I can have like a little fun interaction with a complete stranger for no reason, maybe, maybe like, you know, I held the door a little bit longer for, you know, something just, something so trivial when it doesn't mean anything, but if you have a fun little interaction, I go, that's neat. That's a cool little moment between two strangers who don't care about, I mean, you know, I don't know where they're going. They don't know what I'm doing, but we had a fun little interaction to get by the small little moment of, of life, I guess. And so, I don't know, those are cool little slice of life, slice of life moments for me that I'm like, huh. So, so does it, does it make you easier for you to like approach, like, uh, like for example, you see a attractive, object says that you want to talk to that you make it easy for you to do that no <laughs> yes to no it depends right i mean you know i think everyone's different with like are you a good opener or are you a better closer you know what i mean like uh, you know jacob's neither yeah. <laughs> that's because like that's because i take i, I would have to michael i was gonna say yeah I learned that from michael exactly I, i'm neither because i learned my techniques from michael so <laughs> fair enough <laughs> so I, yeah go ahead oh i was just gonna make another joke it's bad just keep going just keep going. <laughs> so going back to the class of like so for example now if you want to if you could design a class or like business 
uh, or effective, like how to add like humor, like comedy into business communication for like business students, maybe? How would you, how would you design that class? That's a good question. Um, well, I guess it would depend on how long the class is. Cause if you were like really serious about improv, like most, um, programs you would do would be like four levels each level is like eight weeks i think that's pretty much standard for all improv theaters especially in atlanta but if you were just wanting to do like a one course like eight weeks i would say just all the intro stuff all the intro games and as long as i think the most important thing would be to get to that like scene work like at least two on two scene work just because um or one-on-one scene work because that's when you start having those like made up interactions that's where you start getting comfortable with communication that's where you start um i don't know feeling out the body language thing uh because like yeah and another big thing uh we have to do is like starting you can start a scene like i think like you can start a scene a, a ton of different ways but one of the ways we sometimes teach is that silence builds tension mm-hmm. um and a lot of time you can like come into a scene and don't say anything for a while and just do like object work or you're doing an action and then you, they have to just sit in silence and it just grows this like kind of weird, awkward tension and that they have to end up breaking and it's, it, it could be a good tension or a bad, you know, bad tension. Um, so I would like, I would say at least something that gets that part of it is that creating those moments of tension so that you can break the tension so that in real life, when you have those moments, you kind of know how to navigate them. Yeah, you know, because it's funny because a lot of people, especially I think people who are like newer to improv when they're starting off, they feel like they need to fill in all those bits of silence. You know, it's oftentimes we do in real life, right? You're with somebody, you know, let's say you're on a date or whatever it is, and there's a moment of silence. You feel like, oh, my gosh, we have to fill this void of, you know, and sometimes people I think are afraid to, uh, you know, just revel in that silence and stuff. So, you know, when you get to that point in improv, like, yeah, it's like, just start off the scene and you could just, and then you can, and then, and then what that helps with is you could read a little bit more, right? You can see what is their body language like? Like you can, instead of you're just, instead of thinking like, what am I going to say next? It's like, pause, observe what they're doing and let like that affect you in some way, you know? And so I would definitely, I think definitely a one-on-one sort of thing would be uh a good tactic for like business people, something that just get something that I would just try to destroy their filter in a way, like just be like, stop overthinking and just go and just trust yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and then yeah, get to the scene work and then kind of go from there. But I think the initial importance is really just able to just let go. Yeah. All right. So I, I think Paige needs to go soon. I just a quick mm-hmm. question for Paige. How would you do that class in one hour? How would you, what would you teach? Oh, if I did it in one hour. Oh, just nice seminar, nice stuff. Yeah. Like uh, I'm trying to think of like, because I've had to teach like a one hour seminar. And really, um, we start off with like really like silly games that like make you get into your awkward self faster. Like we like, we literally make you like stare at someone and play like the mirror game where you have to like mirror their actions. And like people are constantly like cracking up and like looking away and not wanting to do this. And then they have to work with people. Even if you like know the person really well, they still get uncomfortable. Um, So I think if I was going to do it in an hour, the first thing I would do is make people as uncomfortable as possible and then, then get them relaxed by doing like kind of like fun, just dumb games and then work on the scenes. What was the purpose of trying to get them awkward, uncomfortable? What's the goal? Um, I think it's because when you go into those situations anyway, you're already going to be uncomfortable if it's something new to you. And so like, kind of like 
forcing you to get a little bit more uncomfortable and then breaking it. I don't know. It kind of. Is it, is it to get used to not discomfort in a way? Or more like... Yeah. I, I think a lot of it too is like, 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 like helping people understand it's okay to be uncomfortable too, mm-hmm. that it's okay to be vulnerable is a big one that uh, we always focus on. So. Mm. So what, and you mean by breaking the, tension of discomfort what do, do you mean by they just like make a joke how is, is there a technique to is, is there exercise to practice uh pregnant discomfort um well there's this like it's pretty i guess if in the improv world it'd be like the most famous even in the theater world i feel like it's like a famous like break the ice get to know you game is zip zap zap uh-huh. I hate it. I can't stand it because it's just like everyone always starts everything off of zip, zap, zap. And you basically have to like send, you're in a circle and you have to look at someone in the eyes and say the word zip at them. And then they have to send the zap to a different person and it just goes on. And then it's just, and then you add things in and people like break and they laugh and it's like, it's kind of fun. It gets, can it can be fun, but I just can't stand it. Uh, that's probably like the first game everyone starts off with in, in, in improv one-on-one class. Okay. All right. Jay, would you, would you teach something, uh, would, would you do something similar in one hour class? In a one hour thing? Yeah, I would probably, probably definitely, I would do something where it would get them to just, yes, try to be as comfortable as they can and then just to sort of let go. I would probably start off with something like a zip, zap, up because yes, it's a very cheesy thing, but if it gets everybody laughing, you get comfortable, bring down the guard because everyone's guard is always going to, it's just going to be up. So it's like, you have like an hour to teach kind of how to bring that like one you have to just get the people's guard down anyway to i think be able to feel like they can do this so then you have to do that and then you got to teach them how to do that themselves when they're in these scenes and stuff so it would basically i I would focus on that hour really of just trying to let go of like holding back so i'd have scenes and so to break that awkward tension i wouldn't say don't do a joke right because that's where you're going to sound cheesy and you're going to try to force something make an observation make a make a declaration about how you're feeling or something you know i would just do that being like you know so if you're just oh someone's washing dishes okay and that other person's putting something you could be like you know you could just say something. What if you just said something like, you know, I hate doing the dishes, you know, it could just be something as simple as that, like make a declaration, make a feeling and that person could react. And I would try to get something like that, I guess, going, but I guess I would focus on just trying to like, let, let, have them let go, you know, of this right. filter, I guess. So Paige has to go. Yeah. Paige has to go. So I do want to thank Paige for coming and yeah, yeah. this was fun. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, I'll see bye. you soon. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. You too. Bye. Yeah, Paige. All right, so Jake, you can continue. I'll say Zip Zap's off is terrible, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is, you know, it's, but it's a good game, I think, for, you know, just to get people laughing. You know what I mean? It's, it's cheesy. Like, you're just like zip, and I'm like zap, zap, you know, and so, but I think it just loosens you up first, you know, and so, what? That one where you need to, uh, like, uh, embody an emotion and do it. I mean, that's really great. I mean, that's just, uh, like you know, where you you're sad. Oh yes. Yeah. So, uh, yes. So you're talking about getting people into discomfort by you know maybe having them like stare at each other. Yeah. Right? And then what do they do after that? Like do you? Well, well, like the mirror game, I guess, for example, would be like, you're just looking at each other. So you're just like someone, you just sort of feel it, right? Like if I'm just moving this, then you would be like mirroring my hand movements. And then maybe you take over and then now you're doing something different and you just sort of, and it's a sort of like push and pull 
concept, right? Where you're trying to still like stay in the same rhythm and you're still kind of trying to copy people and stuff, but you know, someone's going to lead it and someone's not right. I mean, like you have to, like, if I'm going to put my hand up here, but they're like, I want to bring the hand down. Like someone has to give in. I have to either bring my hand down where they're doing it, or they have to bring their hand up to mirror me. But then you try to like, now I'm leading it. Now they're leading it. So, you know, and yes, you try to keep eye contact because that's where you can read a lot of emotion and stuff like that. So um, which I guess some people can have a, I sometimes have a weird issue. Like if you're staring at someone in the eyes for very long, I can get a little like, okay, I need to look away. <laughs> okay. So the mirroring sounds like more body language than discomfort to me though, right? Is there still, is, is there still practicing body language or more, I mean, discomfort or more body language? I think it's kind of like a both in a way. Like it is like a body language to do that. And then I think it's also just sort of like, I mean, it, yes, it's an awkward situation. Like you're here you are, especially if it's like, Hey, a business like seminar thing or in your class, like you don't really know these people. This isn't a friend, right? This is just someone like an acquaintance or an associate and you're having to like, look, be close to their face and do this sort of stuff. And like, you know, and just sort of let go. And then also, yes, re try to like read their body language, like what they're doing. Okay. They're now they're moving this up and, uh, and yeah, try to stay with eye contact. And I guess like, I don't know, it's, it's very hippy dippy in a way, you know, like a lot of improv stuff is a lot of hippy dippy sort of things where it's like, you know, very cerebral stuff, so, you know? Yeah. So do you do the zip off, zip whatever the game that you guys hate after that? Yeah, that's like a warm up thing, right? So that's like a warm up game that we would do, like, so yeah, if it was some sort of seminar thing, we would probably do that. And then, like, everyone gets in a circle and then you'd explain the zip, zap, zap. And there's other different parts to that. And the part of zip, zap, zap is also paying attention and eye contact. Because then when you add other parts, like, you know, like a beep or a bop, and that means like it sends that, that little beep goes to the right, but a bop goes to the left. So if I bop to the person to the left, they have to keep bopping or they can beat me back and I got to beep this way. Can you explain the game a little bit? Cause I don't really get it, actually. <laughs> Okay. So, What's the game exactly? So okay. zip, zap, zap would be you'd have like people in a circle, and I would start off, and I would like look at you, and I'd go zip, and then you would get it, and then you would look at like Matt and go zap, and then Matt would look at Michael and go zop, and then Michael would look back at Matt and go zip, and then Matt would look at me and I'd go zop, you know, and so we just kind of keep looking at each other, saying zip, zap, zop, zip, zap, zop, and we keep looking at each other's eyes. So it's to, it's to help paying attention. Because a lot when you're in scenes, a lot of stuff goes on, and you don't want to miss anything, so you just want to be active and keep your mind going. So you're you're waiting to get someone to look at you to give you a zip or a zap or a zop, so then you can pass it on to somebody else. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. All right. Sounds so good. I guess, yeah. So I guess that's the purpose of the game is just to kind of get you paying attention, I guess, and to like get you mind focused to be like, okay, here we go. When's the ball? When's the ball coming to me? I guess. Um, okay. I think that that will probably take out like thirty minutes of the class. What what else would you do in that thirty? No, no, oh, no. I know. See, that's the thing. An hour. If you had an hour to do this, I mean, I would. I would try to make that not be thirty minutes. I mean, I would try to be like, all right, like maybe get people. Let's get up in a circle. You know, maybe just quickly. I mean, I, as much as I hate being like, what's your name? You know, tell. You know, I don't know if I'd want to be like, tell us something about yourself. But like, I guess you just want to get people comfortable because I think just doing improv in general, like, it's just you know, you feel silly. I think people get clammed up. So with an hour, it'd be tough. I think because it's more of like. Let's get you comfortable, and then how can we get you to like absorb these skills we're trying to teach you? I guess you know. So I would definitely build up to the scenes what Paige was saying, and get people to sort of like here's a scene together. I'd explain basic improv, like how to yes and something, 
And I would try to be like, don't think of jokes because that's not what you're doing this for, right? If it's for business and it's an hour seminar, you're not doing this for comedy. You're not doing this to make jokes. You're doing this to, to learn this new skill of how to basically be in the moment more. I think it's really it's about. So it's being in that moment, answering honestly, being comfortable and being able to like communicate effectively with somebody. And that's what improv is more about. I mean, the comedy just makes the comedy a bit, right? But I, I actually love having the serious scenes about something serious, you know, it doesn't have to be. And then funny can happen from that, right? But for business stuff, it, I would just have it be more like, don't make jokes. This is just about like how you can just be in that moment and not overthink what you're going to say and be comfortable and listen to what the person's saying to you, you know, so you can hear the emotion or whatever they're saying, you know, so <laughs> an hour would be, an hour would be tough, but it's possible. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, going back to the principle you were talking about, I, I think you, first one is listening, right? Yeah. Uh, how, how would you practice that? Um, in your everyday life, like whenever you're just talking with friends, I would try to just listen a little bit more like dynamically, I guess I would call it like, so if you're just having a normal conversation or even with like your mom or whoever, just in your everyday life, if you're having a conversation with somebody, maybe try to read in a little bit to like what they're saying, I guess. I know sometimes it's like, don't read into people's stuff, but like, you know, maybe try to practice that emotion, like hearing beyond that. So if someone's like, Hey, how you doing? If they're like, good. Uh, oh, well, wait a second. Maybe they're not really good. They just said it just to kind of, you know, and then you could maybe, you know, and I know that's, that's why I said earlier that I think some people are afraid to like, you know, overstep their bounds or whatever, or like, or overspeak or something. So, you know, let's say you talk to your friend, you're like, Hey, what's up? How are you doing? Like, ah, eh, you know, I'm doing all right. I'm doing, you know, you maybe read it like, oh, what's going on? You know? So I, I guess with listening, how I would practice it, it's just in your everyday conversations, try to listen beyond the words. And then obviously, yeah, people watch. So if you're in line, you're in publics so or doing this, you know, people like to have their headphones, take the headphones out and just listen to people, listen to what they're saying, you know? But, uh, I think your everyday interactions would be the best bet, I guess. Uh, do you, um, I'm listening. I'm I'm watching. Uh, I guess I'm looking at my. I feel like I'm asking too many questions. Are you guys? Do you have? Do you guys want to jump in? Ask any question? Or am I? Am I doing it too much? <laughs> just just checking. I think. Go ahead, man. I was just gonna say I didn't have any better questions than she was already. I know Mike actually knows this idea. <laughs> you know, knows improv and comedy, so I didn't know if he would also have more to fill in as well, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I figured, I mean, Jake and Paige are, have far more experience just in the improv world than I do. I was going, I, like, when it sort of naturally comes about, I have maybe a more, uh, like, technical thoughts on humor and what is humor. Uh, so, but that can come in a little bit, I guess. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, okay, then, then I will continue with my question. So, listening, <laughs> how, well, do you have any exercise? you do in the theater in your improv to to practice that listening or no i'm trying to think uh michael do you know do you remember any of the exercises we would do to practice i mean really i think something like sometimes they do you could do worse things where it's like scenes where it's like okay like sit in the chair or turn your backs to each other like don't like almost like eliminate your vision right so all you have your only sensory you have is your hearing and then you have a scene where you're just listening to their words and you're not Mm -hmm. seeing how they're Body language is you're just hearing what they're saying. Go on, Michael. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I, I remember there were a couple of times where essentially, like, uh, 
I mean, I guess to uh, sort of practice gifts that are given in scenes, like uh, Jake mentioned side coaching earlier, where essentially someone can say like, like come in and sort of say like, oh, listen to what your partner said here. And the scene continues. Uh, uh, there's a more extreme version, I guess we did early in um, classes where essentially the scene stopped anytime someone like missed like a gift. So if your partner said something like, uh, I've had a rough day and like you barred like, oh, you're like, oh, but we're going to the North Pole or, you know, something ridiculous just out of left field and like sort of ignored like that emotion and what they call like a gift in a scene. Like they would actually like stop it and they actually like timed like how long you got into a scene before you like missed something that was offered to you. So mm. this, this during the rehearsal or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That would be like during practice and stuff like that and shows you wouldn't do anything like that sort of stuff. Like, so sounds good. So listening, the second principle is it reacting honestly. That is that a second principle? Uh, yeah, I would say yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it probably I feel so is pretty complex. Michael, and if you Michael, and if you think of any other principles too to add to that, you know, uh, by all means, do it. I mean, I, I that's just something I can think of as a a good way to do it because I always talk about you know. I think it's especially good if we're not talking for people who aren't trying to do this for comedic purposes, you know, because. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just in your everyday life, someone says something like, yeah, just, just, it's just like, I think if you're just more your authentic self, you'll feel more comfortable in given situations. And that's where the confidence will come in too, right? If you feel confident in your authentic self, then you're like, Hey, I can, I don't have a problem here with a small talk or whatever it is. The boss needs to see me or like my coworker, this or something, whatever it may be. You feel confident in that moment because then you're trusting yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and I guess the practice that would be just, you know, oftentimes, you know, well, we wear masks in public, right? We're always like different versions of ourselves depending on where we're at, I guess, you know, and I guess maybe to like, you know, eliminate some of those layers, I guess, and just, just react honestly. You know, maybe you want to say this, you know, it depends, right? If it's team, then don't do it. But, uh, you know, if, you know, if you want to react honestly, just say it. React, react honestly. Well, how, how, how does it look like in terms of improv, right? Well, how do you do it in the improv uh, scenario? Uh, well, I guess it would be like, uh, well, you were going to say something, Michael? No, 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 no. I, I, you go ahead. You go okay. Ahead. Well, it would be something like, um, that's where it becomes interesting, right? So like, you know, oftentimes they say you pick, you, you kind of pick who you are before that scene happens, right? Like early. So, so if Michael and I are on a stage and the MC gets a suggestion of just like, what are they doing? And let's say they're just like diffusing a bomb. That's all we have is we're just diffusing a bomb, but who we are to each other, we have to make up and where we are. We have to make up, you know, and I guess the reaction honestly would be, you know, maybe if I, Michael says something, um, I shouldn't be trying to make a joke out of it, right, in that moment. Maybe I should just react how I would normally react, but, you know. Like, if I'm putting pressure on Jake to, def- like, say the suggestion is defuse a bomb, and I'm like, you know, hurry up, we're going to get fucking killed here, you know, it's like. Right, but if, go on, Michael, sorry. Well, okay, I don't want to put words in your, but Jake, I guess, could have, like, uh a couple of different reactions to that he could be like, Oh no sweat. I'm the best to ever do this, you know, or he could be like, Hey, stop putting pressure on me. That's going to make it worse. Like, you know, in that like it brings out some type of emotion. Right. Right. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so where that, so then where it gets a little complicated is an improv. If you're putting on, there's something called like, what's your deal, right? So your deal could be an emotion. So let's say we're diffusing bombs and maybe my deal is like, I'm over, I'm an overconfident bomb diffuser. 
right? That's what that's what I am here. So I'm going to react honestly to how this overly confident bomb diffuser guy is going to do. So Michael's like, we're going to blow up. Like, if we blow up, at least we're together, all right? It's meant to be. Don't worry, I got the blue wire. You know, I might like react. So you're filtering it through that is, and you're reacting honestly through that. But if you're not doing like characters or anything like that, or, you know, then just be, then it would be me. Then I'd be like, all right, hold on a second, man. I'm trying to, you know, like, how would you, how would I, Jake, really react if someone's pressuring me to defuse a bomb? I'd probably be like, get off my ass. (laughs) All right. uh, Reacting honestly. Have you done a Trump impression? Do I have a Donald Trump impression? No, have you done one? Because what you just did earlier made remind me of Trump. So. <laughs> is it my hand movements? Is it my? Uh, is it my chest? I, uh, I, I must be part Italian. I speak no, with my hands. I think the overconfident thing, and also the, the the way you kind of make it sounds like. So anyway, so. <laughs> no, Jake. Jake is good at impressions. Uh, I could do okay impressions. Uh, <laughs> so, but yes, I've done. I've we've had to do. That's one of our games we do. It's called like impressions. Um, and so you, they get a list from the audience and so you have to come up and, you know, they just spout, you know, or you have your own that you can give the MC, but oftentimes, yeah, you're throwing like whoever and you're like, I guess I just got to do this. So, but who I was really channeling in my mind was our, what is our, one of our friends that we do improv with this guy named John Mahalik. And, uh, yeah, so he's very confident. He kind of sounds like this. He's like, all right, that guy's hold on a second here. So that's who I was really channeling. And maybe if, if he's got a little trumpet, uh, maybe he does, he'd probably be offended by it. All right, all right. So let's let hope he doesn't listen to this thing. <laughs> so <is laughs> the other, what's the third? Is the third principle? Is it truth? Right? Is that what? what is that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that was probably incorporated maybe with like just reacting truthfully. I guess. And um, I'm trying to think, Michael. Do you have any other principles that you could maybe add? I mean, yes, and agreement. I would also say, like, just able to like go for the ride. Yeah, I mean, like different ways of saying like you live in the same universe. Like, so you don't need to, you don't need to like agree with everything someone says. Like, oh, we should do this. Like, you don't necessarily need to say, oh, yeah, we should, but you need to, uh, like, I, you, as Jake, I think, said earlier, like, someone can't start a scene saying it's 1985 and you say, no, it isn't. It's 2021, you know? Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, you live in the same universe and for that particular scene. So, okay. Okay. So, oh, cool. Cool. Sounds good. And, um, Going back to, I guess, a uh, more question on techniques and how, what improv techniques or principle you can use to make something funny? That do you have something like that, like to or to add humor to, like to add humor, I guess, to a- anything that you want to say in terms of like, yeah, just wondering, like, do you have any techniques that we can borrow? I'm 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 watching Michael here. I'm sorry, laughing because I'm wondering what he's thinking here. Uh, but uh, it might be from. I mean, here's a weird thing, right? With improv and then like comedy aspect to it, and we and Michael's probably laughing because we talk about this a lot. Because you know I, I've done improv for a long time, and and you can see people and people could be good at improv. Like you could go here. I could write. Someone can go. I can write you a whole like dissertation on improv, and I could tell you that I have this firm understanding of it. But you could still not make people laugh, and that's where like we make jokes at our theater. Where like if you're if you're late at rehearsal, the the main guy will always be like, and that's the secret to improv, you know, to make it seem like there's some big holy secret, right? But if I had to really say what the secret to to good improv is, it's you know, in in, in terms of the improv world, it would be that you gotta you gotta actually be funny, you know. I think the people that are the best at improv, you're funny people, you know, like you can make people laugh 
off the stage and on the stage. And it, it's sort of a weird, like, you just have to execute it well, I guess. So, I mean, in terms of to use improv and the humor stuff, I mean, part of that, I think you have to kind of understand humor stuff, which I think Michael wants to, I think Michael has a big point to, to add to that. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I agree with everything Jake said. So, I mean, humor is definitely a departure. Like, I think improv's statement on, like, what you need to make people laugh or what you need to be funny, like, in a scene, like, we've talked about, like, a lot of this, like, establishing, living in the same universe, like, all of these different things boil down to, like, one simple idea. Like, Mm -hmm. you and the person you're trying to make laugh need to have a shared context. Like, you need to have, Mm -hmm. like, a shared understanding of what the hell is going on. Because if you have that shared context, they can begin to think about what's expected. And it's like when you're able to like essentially trick them, like you're able to like drop something on them that they didn't expect. I think that's when the laugh starts. Mm. So you got to go ahead. Sorry, go on, you. Oh, so so it sounds like you have a setup, right? Like setting setting up for like setting up for like, uh, they have gonna have an expectation of when this is going, and then you just almost like dropping any end something that very unexpected. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So that. I, so I mean, I, so an improv like yeah, we've talked about like sort of trusting um, or like coming up with this shared context with a partner, establishing who you are, where you are, what you're doing, all that. So it's like, hey, if you're two guys defusing a bomb. And, like, this is a very tense situation. And then there's something, like, there's something, like, absurd that's sort of, you know, like, you know, like, something absurd, like an impersonation or something that maybe entered into that. Mm -hmm. Then that is going to sort of be unexpected and make people laugh, right? I mean, because it's sort of silly. And um, so, I mean, that, I think throughout comedy, like, improv, it's like you establish and then laughs come like when you have a well-established scene. And in stand-up, it's like you have a lead-up to a punchline, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. the lead-up is building the context. And it's like essentially like ever, like the way people's minds work is like, oh, I can see where this is. Like this is a point about uh, like in my stand-up, I, like it was a point about how people want like the universe to be balanced. So like good, bad people – uh, sort of get bad things happening to them and good people have good things happening to them. So people can like very much as you list off like different types of people or different famous people, they can see like, oh, I see where this is going. And then you sort of pull the rug out from under them by going in a different direction. Mm. So that is essentially humor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Timing timing has something to do with it, you know. It's, it's basically like a timing, you, you know, being able to like... F- find where that spot's going to be to make that joke, you know, and then, yeah, have that set up. I mean, that's a good point, Michael, you made. It's, a, it's very much, improv is very much like a very complicated form of stand-up in a way where it's like you want to have the, some sort of setup and then, you know, you, you knock them down with some sort of joke and stuff like that. And, and there could be different types of scenes. I mean, you could have very slapsticky stuff. I mean, very sure. physical humor is another element to improv and stuff like that. It's not always just wit, but there is a wit even to even physical improv, right? There's always right. a form of cleverness that you can take. And if it's something that's kind of unexpected, you know, or even even if you can kind of see it coming, if it's done a little bit differently or how, you know, it could still be really funny, actually. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, okay. Uh, so I do want to make this point before we totally run out of time. 
So I asked at the beginning of all of this, why do people laugh, right? Mm-hmm. So, because yes. I mean, humor, like, because humor is uh, like, you know, when we say, oh, we want to be funny, like in introducing ourselves to people or in presentations or in business, we sort of, what we mean is we want to have people chuck, like have a genuine chuckle, right? Yeah. So, uh, so basically, like everything, um, I was doing improv at the time, so it did occur to me, but um, my thesis helped me formulate this opinion. Um, so uh, so it, as part of my thesis, I looked a lot at shame. And Shu mentioned at the beginning that he... like so, PhD thesis. My PhD thesis, correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, so you mentioned like you laugh at a lot when you're making a statement that you're, when you're sort of unsure of yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. So I would, so I would say laughter is very, very related, um, to the emotion of shame. So are you saying I'm, I'm, I'm in shame all the time? I'm shame. <laughs> what I'm saying, I'm, what I'm accusing <laughs> you of being is very shame prone. Yes. Um, so, uh, so, yes. So in any case, uh, so laughter, like in a book, I, they it had a, what I thought was a good perspective is essentially like laughter is obviously an evolved like piece of communication, right? So like as animals, we evolve laughter for some reason. So laughter is essentially, as you guys sort of summarized earlier, is a way of like com- like helping bond people um, when they're witnessing something that is like outside societal norm. So. Yeah. So in the case of um, so in the case of someone doing something like really stupid or outlandish, like people can laugh at them to be like, yeah, we recognize that this person isn't doing something that we as a society like condone or agree upon. Mm. So and people can laugh at themselves as a means of putting uh, trying to like put themselves back in like the group, like uh, you know the society at large by recognizing. They may have done something that would inspire shame, mm. so, like something that would inspire like a feeling that they don't belong to that group. So that's like so you're sort of laughing at yourself to sort of put yourself uh, as a, as essentially like a defense mechanism. Like, yeah, I recognize I might sound like I'm stupid or I might sound like I don't know what I'm talking about. But so that yeah. was that was the perspective of like one of the, this uh, book on shame I was reading. And I was like, that sort of makes a lot of sense, because basically like. Uh, as we've discussed about throughout all of this, like humor comes from having an understanding of what's expected. So uh, in like an improv, it's like a shared context, a shared universe. In stand-up, you sort of have this share, uh, like you have a setup to a joke that or a setup to a punchline that's basically like, I'm going to tell you like the perspective I'm coming from so you can sort of see where I'm going. And then it's like going in an alternate direction. So going in a direction that's unexpected given that shared context. So, mm. so anyway, this is, that was my rant on like what, <laughs> what, 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 about, what about, I mean, that sounds very, sounds like very, you have very, you thought about that a lot, but what about yes. self deprecation? I thought self deprecation is a good way to make you self more relatable to others, maybe. I was going to say what Michael you were saying. I mean, it, it, it's all feel very human. It feels like it shows to be like, hey, I'm human too, and it's like you know, I can laugh at. I, I, I rec- maybe also a sense of like hum- like being humble. Maybe like maybe if someone does something and if they laugh at it, then they recognize that this was foolish. But if they don't, then maybe a society we go, oh, they think they're 
do they think they're so great that they could do that fool that we all can deem that's foolish, but they don't think it's foolish. And then maybe, and then, you know, there's a, what, a rejection there, I guess, like. Right, right. Yeah, no. So I think if it's something that's part of you that you sort of own, or, you know, I like, I, I think it is like a humbleness, uh, or, I mean, yeah, there's like humbleness and likability sort of being able to laugh at yourself. Because, I mean, everything has, or everyone has qualities that make them sort of distinct from like the norm of a certain social group, right? So I think being able to laugh at the things that make you like uh, that make you distinct from that social group uh, does endear you to that social group. So that's like what I'm so so laughter sort of evolved as a means of signaling like, yeah, I guess like I'm outside the norm. I'm outside what you might normally like view as acceptable here. But I and I can recognize that. So I think that helps. I want to ask you something, Mike. I know a long time ago you tried to write like an AI joke machine, right? Yes. And I, and I can kind of see where this general principle of like, okay, you like set expectations and defy them, how you like might start to get to something that could do that. But I don't know. It seems like a pretty broad idea, right? Cause you can also, you can like set expectations and you can just do something that's like totally random and strange where people just be like, that's weird or odd and not really funny. But I feel like doing it in a way that's funny. Like there's a specific element that's hard to pin down and, you know, maybe it's just the more art part than science, but like, do, do you feel like there's something, how do you get to more specific than just, you know, doing something weird, right? Like, how do you differentiate? Sure. So, um, and there, I actually was reading a lot of papers about this recently. And the, I mean, the honest answer is there's no good system to do this yet. Um, so systems like, like they've, uh, created like AIs for like joke writing and stuff. And basically what they're doing is, um, basically using like a template based approach where essentially like, Hey, here's, um, you know, like this is green, you know, green and springy or, or green and bouncy rather. And it's like, uh, like in the thing outputs a spring cabbage, you know, something. So it's like using homophones and, or like words with multiple meanings um, to, and that sort of, but what you're describing, I guess, is sort of that, like, it still has some level of, I'm, I'm trying to think of what the word I want to use here is, like compatibility, I guess. So it's still like, that answer still works because it's green and bouncy, but like, but it's using the words in like a different way. So the way like computer scientists have gotten over this is just by using like templates and like relatively large um, knowledge banks. <laughs> like so, like from, you know, here we have like these different categories or like different, uh, like this word works with this word because it's like a homophone or this word can work in the, these different situations because it has like different meanings that fit these different situations. So there's a lot of a sort of uh, like explicit and prior knowledge going into these systems. And um, when it, so more recent systems have tried to use like recurrent neural networks and they, they're running into exactly sort of the problem you're describing here that essentially they come up with like the, style like the style of the joke is there like there's some build-up and punchline but the punchline doesn't make any sense given the build-up mm. so um so basically yes that there is so- something to be said 
I guess an improv, Jake, you can talk about, like, there's sort of this A to C thinking as opposed mm-hmm. to, like, A to B thinking. So I think that's what a lot of these systems are missing right now is basically, like, you know, I can say the color orange. Like, what does that make you think of, Jake? Uh, you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and, yes, and uh, that ma- makes me think of, like, incredible depression. Um, so, so it's like, you know, so the color orange, like, inspires, like, something that is, like, a scene about incredible depression and improv. And there's some type of, like, connect, like, you're always looking for a connection that's a little bit removed from, like, what's expected, right? Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Are you talking about, like, A to B is when Jake think about orange, he think, he, he think about Mike. Yes, yes, yes. You say, for for Mike, you think about when you think about orange, you think about depression. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's okay. So A to B. So A to B. So Jake thinks of it, me when he thinks of orange. I think of depression when I think of me. So, <laughs> so 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 like an improv, an improv. There's like a couple. Of, so you can take when you get a suggestion, right? You can take it uh, very literally. So if you get like. A beach. You just get beach is the word. You could take it literally, and we're on a beach now. You could take it tangentially, and you go, okay, where? What else does beach kind of remind you of? And maybe you can be like, I'm on vacation or something, right? And then you could take something that's thematically, and you go, what's like a thematic? Like, what's the more symbology of like a beach? What does that mean to me? And maybe that can mean, uh, and maybe I'm relaxing or something, right? You know. So that's sort of the A to B. So really, I should have answered if you said orange. An A to B would be more like a tropical. Maybe I'm actually orange juice or something right like i'm gonna take it more you know or maybe breakfast morning right but like yeah something more a to c orange can mean more like oh the you know uh now i kind of seen with my dad because orange reminds me of home depot which reminds me of trips to my dad which then now i kind of miss my dad or something like that you know it could do something like that right you know so it, it's just different levels of like how you take it you know so sort of that's why the a to c thinking is something like don't do what the obvious is so if yeah your suggestion's orange don't be drinking orange juice think of something more what does that mean and that can be more i guess you could more surprises come from that right exactly do you want a to b thinking or do you want a to so you want a to c thinking you want a to c thinking because that's just more that's just like i guess if you had a professional right yeah yeah so i i just more like escalates were well no 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 no. i'm sorry i was just gonna say like essentially like you the audience like your audience like whether it be a single person you see at the you know see at starbucks or whether it's like an audience at a theater is basically they're doing the a to b thing like in every case they're gonna do the a to b thinking if you give them enough context to like follow what's going on right so if you give them the context they'll do a to b you want to do a to c to catch them off guard hmm Right. So, so going back to your robot Joker or, or joke AI, like, are you talking about the, currently they are missing the A to C, A to C thinking? They would right. want A to B. Yeah. Sure. Well, so there's lots of joke, like pun generators that use templates. So they'll do like, like I talked about, uh, you know, how many Californians does it take to change a light bulb? And the template for that is how many blank does it change to light bulb, right? Like all this program can do is come up with jokes of that structure. And basically like uh, the structure of the answer is a number (laughs) 
followed by one to insert the light bulb and then number minus one due to some stereotype of the chosen group. So like how many Californians does it take to change a light bulb? 12, like one to insert the light bulb and 11 to sit back and appreciate like the joint experience or something, you know, because Californians are hippies, you know, so something really stupid. So, I mean, yeah, so like those types of things are like, so I guess bringing this around to like context is like how many Californians does it take to change a light bulb? Well, like our context is a light bulb is like, you know, a very simple thing to do. Like no matter who it is, is one. So you're sort of like unsure of like, there's an expectation that like the answer to anything is going to be like the only obvious answer is one there. So you're anticipating something different so that it provides like a stereotype based on who you are. But so, but so, I mean, if, so you could have a joke or pun generator that's like a template that does a similar thing, like with just with different activities, right? You know, mm-hmm. how many people, like how many people, you know, does it take to do whatever? And, you know, based on the activity chosen and the people, like the group of people involved, like you can come up with uh, different answers in a knowledge base that would be you know, stored elsewhere. But uh, it, it becomes very, very tricky with just free-formed language because, uh, because, I mean, because basically you just need, like, the setup needs to create a context that makes, like, A to B needs to be obvious, and then you need to figure out what A to C is. So, like, because actually the, I've read a paper, like, on the theory of humor, and basically it was saying like the funniness of a joke can be quantified and that that like how funny a joke is depends on two things okay. it depends on how well like so essentially like the a to b is uh like the distance of b to c so like you know the distance between what's expected and uh like what is actually said and how well C fits in, given, like, how well C fits what was expected. Mm. So if it fits really well, but it's really unexpected, that's a really funny joke. <laughs> yeah, because so. yeah, obviously you don't want anything, something so random, you know what I mean? You don't want to just right, think yeah. random. You want it to have to be correl- connected, but, but far enough removed from that B, and that's where you can have, like, an ideal joke. Yeah. So, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Talking about your joke AI, it sounds like AI joke robot might be very hard. But how is it easier to make a AI software that does like maybe uh, you 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 wrote something like you wrote a paragraph something right you a, a few sentences of something a paragraph something and then is it easier to make an AI and actually turn that in, input paragraph and output something like maybe humor like Benjamin Franklin did you know. And make it into humor or something, make it make it funnier, I guess. That's actually an interesting idea. I would maybe I probably need to think about it more, but it could be. Like you provide some context and it like creates just like I mean, I guess uh some of the simple ways to do it would be maybe like look for like homophones like used in the passage and things like that, but yeah. Here's, a, here's a case study. So remember, you did your intro for our podcast, right? Yes. How do you make that more 
humorous. Oh, well, well, I mean, basically, like, I don't know. How do you use improv techniques or, I don't know, comedy stuff to make it more humor? Oh, like today's episode, you mean? No, just today in the intro, Matt wrote an intro for our podcast, right? Sure, sure. Today in the intro, you did, right? Now, how how do you turn that into, I guess, just try to get into that. What would you, like, is any improv technique or you can you you can draw from to make it more humor, humorous. I mean, maybe maybe just like, let's say you 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 have the thing written out and you're like, how can I make this funny? And maybe just like hearing it, reading it, and then trying to like think of some clever rebuttal to maybe a line or two or something like that, right? Like so, like if you say like, you know, you know, hey Junto, you know, when Michael said like the upper crust thing, or like you know, here's the Junto Club, you know, and you can make like a I don't know a funny sort of like, you know, like how Michael said, like, that's upper crust, right? He was saying yeah. that to be jokey and to right. sort of be like, kind of like, yeah, you know, a little bit like. Yeah, yeah. he'd be yeah. saying what? Yeah. <laughs> yes, right. yes, yes, yes. Right. So, that, so I guess I would, that's the improv technique I would use is just like treat it as if what you're reading is someone saying it to you and then think of a funny rebuttal and then maybe you could like, okay, I could fit that in somewhere into that like little paragraph and I can have like, uh, I say this funny, I say the serious thing, like, Hey, we're this. And then I come up with like a, there's a joke. It's, you know, or here's the, here's the punchline, I guess, or the response to it. That would be funny, I guess, you know? Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Actually. Sounds good. <laughs> so yeah. commenting back one step, I guess one of the things that makes it so hard for like an AI joke telling robot is, so if you want, you know, C to be really far away, but still connected I feel like you're really, well, like joke people, when you're writing joke, people often find like inspiration in random parts of life and stuff. So I feel like people often reach like across the like spectrum of human experience mm-hmm. to find these far reaching ideas that fit in well to make something funny. So to make like an AI that could do that, you would need it to like basically give it the human experience to some extent, right? Sure. Yeah. So no, absolutely. Yeah. So it would need like an incredibly extensive like knowledge base that's like incredibly well organized and like interconnections between like those organized like sub directories I guess of knowledge and uh so I mean essentially what you're describing is like sort of a brain right I mean so yeah so I mean yeah so humor is definitely like I mean with vision like it's very like the way the human like vision cortex works is like it's very like experiments have showed sort of like a serial process that takes place to sort of like, you know, build up like an image. So it sort of makes sense that we can replicate that pretty well in computers and like the occipital lobe is like input from the eyes and it connects to a lot of other regions in the brain, but to like get to that image point, like is somewhat isolated. So, uh, but like, yeah, with something like humor, it's like, you'd have to sort of recreate a lot of different areas, you know, cause I mean, you're combining like sight, emotion, you know, smells, fear, or rather smells like a touch. Like, I mean, all that experience is factoring into like how a joke is experienced. So, mm-hmm. so. All right. Going back to humor again. <laughs> Not from machines. So, uh, how would you recommend for us everyday people to? Is there any exercise that we can practice every day to improve our humor and to make ourselves 
funnier? Like, is there any exercise we can do every day? Uh, yeah, just want to see. I, I, any- I would, I would say maybe just. I feel like it's almost like an odds game, you know? Like it's sort of like if you come across something in life and you're, you're thinking something in your head or some observational thing, whatever it may be, if you're thinking of, this is something funny I could say, it's like, just, I guess, try to, maybe you could just try to find humor in everyday sorts of situations and maybe some things will be funny or maybe some things won't be, you know? I mean, I feel like it's sort of like a trial and error situation, but you have to, you have to do it more, you know, you have to try. So sometimes if you're like, oh, this person said something, I have a really funny thing I could say in the response, but if you don't take it, then you don't know if it's actually funny, right? It's just funny to you, but maybe it's actually pretty funny so just just say it right i think there's that there's the improv part where it's like just be vulnerable and just just go with it just throw it out there you know i mean i mean like if it's gonna be like oh this is offensive i mean i like ball busty type of humor so you know if i'm with friends who can handle some ball busty stuff then yeah i'll say some like ball busty rebuttal or something like that you know so um but i think it's i think it would just be like you just kind of keep going and then eventually you figure out like okay like i can see you know, I guess if they, this person said this and then like I've tried saying I've tried making, you know, this type of joke with it or something and that didn't seem to work well. But then the next time, like I had a similar situation, I tried it this way or viewing it, you know, trying to find like other paths. And I think it's just kind of a, finding what works for you. I mean, everyone has different humor. And the thing about humor, too, is that it's very subjective. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredibly subjective thing, whereas something is really funny to one person. It's not funny to this other person. So it's just that's a very cute cat, Matt. Um, <laughs> this is Rory. No one can hey, see him because it's a podcast. But yeah, <laughs> he's cute. He's a black and white cat. I will describe him. Um, but uh, so I think it would just be like you just got to try it, I guess, you know, and just uh, – you know, you'll find your own like way of like what's funny there, but you can't also, you know, you can't get yourself down if someone else didn't think that was funny because it's just subjective. You know, I mean, you could be like, oh, I think Dumb and Dumber is hilarious. I OK, I like, you know, I grew up, I loved Ace Ventura. Michael hates Jim Carrey, you know, and like I enjoy Jim Carrey. I think he's funny, but Michael doesn't. And Jim Carrey is a very beloved person in all our lives in the world, but Michael stands out going, I don't find him funny, you know, so it's a very subjective thing. Where does objectivity come into it, I guess, with humor? I mean, that's a tough call. Do you just, is it a numbers game? If you're like hey, 80 billion, eight, you're 80 million people find this guy funny, but only three don't. Who, what, what's right, you know? But I, I guess your truth is whatever your truth is. If you don't find that person funny, then they're not funny, you know? So, you know, I would say for individual person, you know, if you're trying, just, just test it out, I guess, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it sounds like to me, you were suggesting like just, Every day you walk on the street, just like observe and just try to think of something funny to whatever you are observing. And also, if you are talking to someone, just using the yes and just take whatever they say and try to see if you come up with something funny. If, if I mean, if you come to you, right, and just say it out, just say go with it, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and something with, I mean, observation, I think, is a good, helpful tool because we just see so many things. And maybe this is a little bit of a bad thing to say, but it's like in your mind, like almost poke fun of what you see, you know? I mean, think of Ben Franklin, right? He poked fun of things. I mean, that's what satire is all about. Just make fun of something, you know? I mean, you don't want to be mean, but maybe sometimes it's mean, but just keep that in yourself. But like, you know, with with, with improv, they teach like it's always better to heighten because you could bring it down better, right? It's easier to like let it's easier to let air out of a balloon than it is to blow air into the balloon. So even if you're like, Oh, I'm having this observation thing. What I just saw there, my joke is incredibly offensive and mean. You could always tone that down. Right. But like, you know, just, I guess just free flowing, go with it. You know what I mean? Because then see where you go. Cause I think people are often scared 
about like, oh, is that? And then you get you're thinking like, am I even really funny? Did I say it? Was that funny? Was that mean? Was that bad? Like, let that go. Say it in your mind. Just go for it. And if you're with somebody that you feel safe with, test it out. Say it. You know, just say your joke. And it might if if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. And I would, uh, and I guess uh, part of like we've been talking about, like I mean, humor is all about context and like uh, sort of, uh, I guess, disagreeing with expectations. So I mean, it, it, I think what we talked about, like the association stuff, is meant to help with that. So, so like when you think of, when you're sort of experiencing something or you see different things throughout your day, like you can think about like what, like what are the different things I would associate with this. Because the more you have to associate with different things as things comes, like as context, like as you come up with certain things in one context, you sort of think about things in different contexts that you could apply or like would fit in this new context. And that's sort of your punchlines, right? So. Yeah. I think what also helps is knowing like, um, I guess like pop culture type stuff too, just social stuff, social cues, like knowing the world I think is very helpful because then it like, you know, you just have different perspectives you can make jokes off of and you can know, like, you know, I don't know, like if you're like, Oh, look at those firemen, bunch of alcoholics, you know, like, I mean, I don't know if that's a thing or not, but uh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's just say there's a thing where, al- where, you know, firemen, there's, t- you know, I don't know. You read a story where like, Oh my God, look at that. Uh, I don't know. So I guess right. being well read. No. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's essentially it. Yes. If you know, like, common things about these different, you know, groups of people or, you know, like, products in the world. I mean, you know, like, I mean, Apple, right? Like, Apple has, like, wonderful products, but they also, like, people have, uh, or, like, Apple and Nike both share, like, they have like questionable work practices. Yeah, Some like I, like if I was like if I was like Michael, what little girl made your iPhone? Yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, I got mine out of a sweet sweatshop down in uh, you know wherever in yeah. Cambodia. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it's like I mean, so it's like you have the context of like a company is making a like well sold and you know widely used like technology. Versus like their work practices, so that's two different like contexts for the same thing. So, yes. So, okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, I like the one of the like the first time I did stand up. By far, my like biggest joke, or like the joke that got the biggest laugh, was like a hundred percent just following this formula, like setting expectations, and then. All right. Well, now you got to tell the joke. Oh, it's a good. Yeah, do it, Mike. <laughs> All right. Well, basically the, the point was like, so I started the set by talking about like how people always want like the universe to be in balance, right? Like they, like they view themselves to be good people and like bad. So it's like, it's good when bad people get punished because bad people deserve to be punished and they deserve good things to come to them. Like no one considers themselves the bad person. So, like, I was talking about Whitey Bulger, who's the Boston mobster, who, like, he was, en- he ended up being beaten, I believe, to death in prison. And people yeah. say, like, oh, that's good. Well, that's good. I'm not a mobster. Like, I've never killed anyone. You know, that's awesome. Or, like, Jeffrey Dahmer was beaten to death in prison. You know, like, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer was a serial killer. He was a monster. Like, you know, I would never murder people. I would never eat people. You know, or Jared Fogel. You know, like, I never sold shitty sandwiches to an unassuming public. <laughs> Who's Jerry Pogo? <laughs> Say yes. 
He was. Oh, that's that's where. See, that's where the the like the no context. Answer, yes. Right. So Jared Fogle was the subway spokesperson who lost all this weight, but then a few years ago, or I, I, I don't know how long ago it was, but maybe within five years or something like that, he ended up getting arrested and he's in jail for you know what? Uh, uh, pedophilia. Pedophilia, essentially. <laughs> yes. So the joke there, what Michael did was that he's setting up the Whitey Bulger, killed people, Jeffrey Dahmer, the killed people. And you're, you're expecting him when he mentions Jared Fogle, like, ah, oh, he's a pedophile. But no, the joke is he made shitty sandwiches. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so instead of not liking Jared Fogle because of that, you're like, you're fucking Jared Fogle. He made shitty sandwiches. Right. right. <laughs> That's why not to like him. <laughs> so that, yes. So that. Now I get it. Now, now Ned, I realize he's pretty good. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, no, it wasn't. I, see, to me, I was like, "Oh, that's almost too formulaic." Like that's like that's a joke I would want my AI to come up with. Like it was almost too too simple, but uh, the crowd enjoyed it. So, I, I it, it's funny. Like objectively, uh, in a room full of like sixty something people, uh, a lot laughed. So yeah, I think that's uh, that's pretty much all my questions uh, for, for for you, Jake, and um, Age. Yeah. One more question, actually. How has uh, COVID impacted you guys now? Because like, you're a theater, right? So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been doing stuff just on, like, Twitch. So we do, like, Zoom. Mm-hmm. Like, we do it on Zoom, but then we, like, stream it to Twitch. And now we're starting to stream it to, like, YouTube Live and stuff. So it's definitely changed, you know, because you're used to, like, improv. There's definitely something to be said, the difference between being on stage versus, like, on here. I mean, you have we have a whole stage, and we can move around. You have physical. Here, like, you can't really do much. I'm just in this little box, and, I mean, I can get up and do stuff, you know. But it's just it doesn't translate the same. So a lot of us are have been bummed out by it, you know. And, and, and it's just been – it's been a little rough because, you know, I feel like if it's in this type of setting, clever, witty – just kind of smarter humor is what like prevails more. You can't fall on the crutch of the stage where like, and plus audience members, I think you, you suspend your disbelief a little bit more when you watch something on stage versus like film and stuff, you know, even though this isn't film, this is still, I just think people, like if you watch a movie, you want to see what you want to see. Like if they're, and it's a car chase, you want to see that. But on a stage, we can go, we're in a car chase and I'm just doing this shit, you know, and people are going to laugh because they can see it in their mind's eye. But I still think even on a Zoom thing, it's sort of like a rough translation with that. I think people still suspend their disbelief because they get it. But at the same time, it's we're still limited, you know. So we try to have fun with like fun backgrounds or something, you know what I mean, and like do different things like that. But um, we're making it work. I mean, we've been doing it now for, I mean, since March of 2020, we've been just stuck on Zoom. And we've done some outdoor live shows. Uh, a couple, you know, you know, um, around like Ponce City Market and stuff like that last year. Maybe we'll get back to that. Not sure, but uh, hopefully we'll get back to it at some point, but uh, in a safe manner, of course. You're going to try to drag Michael back? I've been trying. I mean, I told him. I mean, you know, there's times where I'm like, uh, I don't want to go into rehearsal. And Michael's like, it's funny. It's just an hour. I'm like, well, why don't you get on, Michael? You know, so <laughs> like. I'm like, if, if it's if it's no big thing, then why don't you get back on? It's like, well, no, no. I mean, sure. I'll, uh, maybe I'll do it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's my Michael impression. Ah, jeez. All right. No, no, no. I mean, sure, sure. I'll do it. I'll get back on. But uh, all right. All right. Orange is depression. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that's the name of this episode that's the name of this episode Orange is Depression perfect it's the sequel to Orange is the New Black it's Orange is the New Depression yeah. <laughs> uh, all 
right. Well, this has been a pretty long episode. <laughs> it has. I was going to say, it's, been, it's good. It's been, it's been fun, guys. This is really fun. I think but it's yeah. Fun. I it's like really nice just... having some experts come in, you know, because yeah. obviously me and Shu didn't know anything about humor, so Mike couldn't carry all the weight. <laughs> no, I think you guys are pretty funny. I like it. Keep busting bikes balls. It's good. <laughs> that's an easy one, you know. That is an easy one, right? You're an easy thing, The only thing that sustains Jake. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Without him, I'd be like, ugh, who, who can I bust balls with? I don't have, you know, because he's such a character. You're like, what can you, there's nothing, you, you can make fun of everything. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome, Michael. No, but this is good. I like your guys' show. I think it's a cool, I like the uh, the Junto Club concept. I think that's actually really cool. So, I like it. I like the different subject matters and stuff. And anytime you ever want another person on, you know, I mean, I can, Michael and I have talked about stuff and I'm like, I don't know anything much about the AI stuff, but I, but I can be like the, in layman's terms, right? I'm like this, the normal guy where I'm like, I've watched Terminator and iRobot. So where are we getting with, you know, how far are we away from the end of time? That's all we really care about. That sounds neat. But when are we going to, when am I going to get a sex spot at my local? Yeah. <laughs> the real question comes out. The real question. Exactly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Michael, all I'm hearing about is AI, but when can I have sex with it? <laughs> <laughs> the robot cleans, it mows my yard. That's great and perfect, but uh, can I fuck it? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why if I'm going to spend $10,000 on a robot, it better blow me. <laughs> Junto Club.